Hey, I'm Sarah Archer and welcome to episode 98 of the Speaking Club podcast. I want to start this episode with a famous but largely ignored quote. We have two ears and only one mouth so that we can listen twice as much as we speak. Thanks to Epictetus for that little gem. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognise the power of stories and humour in speaking and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organisations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So, if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Hello, and if you're listening to the episode on release day, then I hope you're having a wonderful holiday season. I'm spending a lot of mine boxing stuff up as I finally sold my house and I'm moving to the seaside. In fact, I'm moving to the same seaside town where Oscar Wilde, the celebrated author and playwright, wrote The Importance of Being Earnest, which one of my playwriting friends considers to be the most perfect Western play ever written. In fact, Oscar Wilde's own story makes a really good backdrop for this episode, because at the height of his fame and fortune, despite having perfectly captured and reflected Victorian society in his plays, Oscar Wilde completely misjudged his own importance and his audience. He pitted himself against an establishment that was driven by Victorian moral outrage when he decided to sue the father of his lover for defamation of character, even though the accusation his lover's father had made was basically true. Now, in the court, Oscar was witty, he was flippant and combative, and, tragically, his inability to read his audience and society led to his conviction for gross indecency and a sentence of two years hard labour. And he actually died five years later at the age of just 46, physically and financially ruined. Well, hopefully your public speaking skills won't be needed for court, but it is the case, right, that whether you're a storyteller, a salesperson, a marketer, a leader, an entrepreneur, a coach, a consultant or public speaker, in order to be successful, you have to know your audience. You have to find a way to get them to pay attention and then persuade them to act. And whether that action is changing their perspective or buying into an idea or project or purchasing your product or service, it is all the same. You need to get them to take action. And I think the whole premise for this episode can actually be summed up by Stephen Covey's fifth habit of highly successful people. To be understood, seek first to understand. In my experience, there are two key skills you need in your toolkit to become a brilliant public speaker and they are asking questions and listening and that's because in order to deliver a talk that grabs attention connects and moves your audience to action you need to get to the bottom of what they want what they don't want what scares them and what matters enough 
to make them act. And this also applies to any marketing you may do of yourself as a speaker, because you need to understand your potential clients and customers in the same way. Now, you may be listening to this and thinking, oh my God, this is so basic, Sarah. I know how to do those simple things. Any idiot does. Well, hold your horses because, unfortunately, evidence would suggest that we're actually crap at these simple tasks of asking questions and listening. And there are actually some sciencey reasons for it. I created a new word there, but we're going to go with it. Okay, so first of all, human beings are like icebergs. In that, what we show the world is far from the whole story. Sigmund Freud talks about this in his iceberg theory. He says that human behaviour is governed by the unconscious and what we say and what we talk about are not as important as how we say things and what we really mean. And we do this both at an individual level, you'll probably recognise this, when we hold back on sharing our true feelings about something because either we're worried about how we'd be viewed by other people or, you know, what they're going to, you know, what they're saying about us or fear of failure, all sorts of things. Um, But it's also done in business and politics all the time, uh, more intentionally in that arena, but for the same reasons, to cover up the truth about, you know, what's going on. And that's when you'll hear lots of euphemisms, like, you know, when companies say they're restructuring rather than dismissing people, or people talk about negative cash flow as an alternative to being broke. But basically, the whole story isn't being shown. That's what the iceberg theory is about. And at an individual level, that's why questioning skills are so important when we're researching our talk and the target audience. To make our talks the best that they can be, we've got to make them relatable and relevant to the audience we're speaking to. That's why we need to understand all the important stuff, like their desires, their fears and doubts. And to get to those, you have to be able to peel back the layers using questions. So aside from the fact that people don't always show what's really going on with them. The other thing that can sabotage our ability to successfully question and listen to people is our attachment to our own beliefs and opinions. And our ego's drive to be right is so strong that it can even distort reality. There's an expert on self-delusion and he's a guy called David McRaney and he explores 17 psychological phenomena in his book, You Are Now Less Dumb, How to Conquer Mob Mentality, How to Buy Happiness, and All the Other Ways to Outsmart Yourself. Sounds cool, doesn't it? I'm putting a link to it in the show notes to that. But basically, he says, once something is added to your collection of beliefs, you protect it from harm. And we do this instinctively and unconsciously when confronted with attitude inconsistent information. You stick to your beliefs instead of questioning them. When someone tries to correct you, tries to dilute dilute your misconceptions, it backfires and actually strengthens those misconceptions instead. And over time, the backfire effect makes you less sceptical of those things that allow you to continue seeing your beliefs and attitudes as true and proper. 
And there's a great article in Brain Pickings on this. If you haven't come across Brain Pickings, they do some amazing stuff. Uh, it's all um, founded by a lady called Maria Popova. And I'll put a link to this specific article in the show notes too. But in this article, Maria Popova basically says that in order to avoid the discomfort of dealing with conflicting evidence, we actually end up building new memories and new neural connections that further strengthen our original beliefs and opinions. And she says this helps to explain such gobsmacking statistics as the fact that despite towering evidence proving otherwise, 40% of Americans don't believe the world is more than 6,000 year, years old. And we really can uh, delude ourselves in all sorts of ways if we don't let go of these beliefs and opinions or we're not open to letting go of them. But one person in history used the ability we have to delude ourselves, coupled with our failure to recognise that we do alter our perceptions and attitudes, impressions and opinions about the external world to fit with our beliefs. Um, he used that to his advantage. And that was Benjamin Franklin, one of America's founding fathers. And he used this human flaw to manage his haters. So what happened was this. Benjamin Franklin was poor, he came from a poor background, but one of the reasons that he ascended to great power was his ability to understand human behavior and use this insight to influence people. And one of the things that he discovered was something called the Benjamin Franklin effect. He probably didn't call it that, to be fair. I think we've done that subsequently. Um, but this was basically that human beings believe that we do nice things to people we like and bad things to those that we don't like. But in actual fact, the psychology behind the effect shows that the opposite is true. We actually grow to like people for whom we do nice things and dislike those to whom we are unkind. How's that for messing with your head? So when Benjamin Franklin was standing for an election... An opponent delivered a speech that criticised him and aimed to tarnish his reputation. And although Ben Franklin was furious, he also recognised that this fella was, in Ben Franklin's words, a gentleman of fortune and education. And he realised that this fellow was likely going to end up being important. So he wanted to avoid future conflict with him, but he needed to do something about getting this fella on side, but also without losing face himself. So after considering all his options, Ben Franklin decided to write to the bloke and ask if he could borrow a particular book from his library. Now, as a book collector and a founder of a library, Franklin was considered to be a book connoisseur. So when the hater got the letter... He was very flattered and sent the book round right away. And then a week later, Franklin sent it back with a thank you note. Job done. And the next time they met, the man's attitude towards Ben Franklin had completely changed. And, and Franklin wrote that the fella ever after manifested a readiness to serve me on all occasions, 
so that we became great friends and our friendship continued to his death. Now, as bizarre as this sounds, it comes back to our ego and wanting to be proved right. And according to this whole self-perception theory, we're both observers and narrators of our own experience. We see ourselves doing something and unable to sort of understand why, to pin down our motive, we try and make sense of it by constructing a plausible story. And then we form beliefs about ourselves based on observing our actions as narrated by that story, which of course is based on our existing beliefs in the first place. And this is what happened to Franklin's nemesis. He observed himself performing an act of kindness towards Franklin, who he previously hadn't liked, and then he explained it to himself by constructing the most plausible story that he did it on his, of his own free will because actually he liked Franklin after all. So there's a great example of what I mentioned before about us shaping the world to fit our beliefs rather than it in, in, in actually the way things are. So bringing this back to speaking, the important takeaway here is that in order to ask the right questions and to listen effectively for the duration of a conversation, we've got to let go of our own beliefs and opinions so that they don't get in the way or influence what we hear. Hopefully that makes sense. We've got to let go of our own ideas and agendas and move out of the way so that we can really hear the person. And there's a brilliant TEDx talk by a lady called Celeste Headley, and it's called 10 Ways to Have a Better Conversation. And I'll also put a link to that in the show notes too. And one of the most important tips she offers is this one. Enter every conversation assuming you have something to learn. Now, I thought I did this, but when I was doing the background research and reflection of my own listening for the show, I realised that I've not been doing as well as I thought. So when I listened to Celeste's TEDx talk, I saw at least two mistakes that I've been making. The first is that when I have a conversation with someone, they often say something that triggers a thought in me. As you know, I've said in previous episodes, I've got a mind like a butterfly. So I have this thought and then I try to hold on to the idea and start thinking about where is a great place in the conversation to share it. But in doing so, I stop listening to the other person. And Celeste says that when these thoughts pop up, we should just let them go. Now, if you're a coach like me, these thoughts can be really valuable. Uh, but now I just jot it down and then let it go uh, that way. So I've got it to return to if it is still important later, but I can then completely refocus on my student, my client, uh, and, and listen to them you know, mindfully as we go forward. And the second thing that I have been doing is empathizing. I don't know if you do this. So some, let's say someone I'm talking to may say that something has happened to them. And if I've had a similar experience, I get overwhelmed with the desire to share my story. And Celeste not only suggests that we should never equate our own experience with the other person's because they're different, but that once again, that desire to empathize and share 
not only takes us away from truly listening, but it makes it about us. And she says, it's not about you. It's about the other person. And to top it all off, I read another quote from Stephen Covey that reflects another thing I've most certainly done in conversations. He says, most of us don't listen with the intent to listen. Most of us listen with the intent to reply. Does that sound familiar to you? When you take a good hard look at, uh, and think about things, I think you'll find that that can be often true for most of us. So acknowledging that we all may have some work to do on our asking and listening, I thought I'd share the top tips I've discovered with you to help you work on these things. Let's start with asking. There are three tips on this that I wanted to share. The first one is that you need to notice the little things to find out where to dig deeper. And if you're really listening and staying present, then it's going to be easier for you to spot these. Number two is to frame your question as a request for advice. And this works brilliantly because, uh, especially when you want to break the ice with a stranger, um, because people love giving advice. And the fact that you're asking them creates intimacy that makes re you know, rejection more difficult for them. So frame your question as a request for advice. Finally, number three is don't wait to ask a follow-up question. Often there's some unconscious etiquette that we stick to that says we should wait for them to ask a question after we've asked one. But the advice is to strike while the iron is hot and ask your next question without hesitation. Okay, so those three tips on asking. Before I hit you with the listening tips, I wanted to share something else that Celeste Headley mentions in her TEDx talk that I think is both hilarious and profound. She says that she considers tips like making eye contact, nodding and making comments and sounds to show you're listening as rubbish advice. <laughs> and her logic for this is that when you're having a conversation, there's no reason to show that you're paying attention if you are, in fact, paying attention. Classic. I love that. So there's no need to fake it if you're actually doing it. Okay, so here are the top five tips I found to help you listen better. Number one, as I mentioned before, thank you very much, Celeste. Enter every conversation, assuming you have something to learn and be genuinely interested in the other person. Number two, this is an old favorite. You should already know this. Use open-ended questions. Those how and why ones are really useful for peeling back those layers. Uh, be aware of your beliefs, your biases and your opinions and agenda and let them go for the duration of the conversation. Don't get in your own way. Number four, don't multitask or be distracted because you want the other person to feel like you believe this is the most important conversation you're having today. And when we look at people who have sort of charisma, one of the things they always uh, said about them is that they make you feel like you're the only person in the room, that they're like the sun shining on you. And I think 
this number four you know, that complete focus on the person you're having the conversation with is a way that you can achieve that. So it may also be building your charisma. And who doesn't want that? Now, number five, listen with the intention of listening rather than the intention of sharing your own ideas and experiences. Cool. So the most important takeaways for you for this episode are that asking questions and listening are critical skills for you to develop in order to create a talk that really connects your message to your audience. If you think about it, that's why authors who thoroughly research the problem they're solving have the basis for a great talk, because they've spent a lot of time asking questions and listening before they even wrote the book, let alone the talk. Now, do go and check out Celeste TEDx. It's definitely worth a watch. It'll put a smile on your face too. I'll put the link in the show notes, as I've said. Coolio. Well, I hope this has given you some brain food to think about over the rest of the holidays. Now, before I head off to do more packing, I wanted to ask you if you had a goal to develop your storytelling and speaking in this coming year. Because if you do, then I'd like to invite you to kickstart that goal by joining me for a live masterclass. And it will be brilliant for you if you want to build your speaking confidence or take your speaking to the next level. Because I am going to be giving you the lowdown on my heart map, which not only gives you a blueprint for a powerful story-led talk that gets results, but it's an easy to follow structure that will help keep you on track when you're actually speaking. And it also makes it simple for you to flex the same talk to different lengths. How about that? And the best bit is, it's completely free and you get a copy of the map to take away. Places are limited on the masterclass. So if you want to grab yours, go to thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass. Well, that is it. Thank you so much for joining me as ever. And if you enjoyed the show and got value, I would love it if you would take that two minutes to leave a rating or review for the show on iTunes. It's in 150 countries and I would love to get a review from someone in all of those 150 countries. That would be amazing. And it really helps me Um, And I love getting your feedback. I'm not going to lie. And it helps the podcast get found by other people too. Well, that's it from me. I want you to have a great week. And don't forget, as ever, to grab your life by the nuts. And this time I want you to get listening. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, if you're listening to this show because you want to start speaking or have a big talk or pitch coming up and you want to make it the best it can be, then you made the right choice because this podcast is the vehicle that can help you get there. But I wanted to tell you about something that will get you there even faster. Something that incorporates all the hacks, tools and tips I've picked up from my years in comedy, theatre, marketing and coaching. And that's my blueprint for creating and delivering a story-led talk that engages, inspires, and converts. And the best bit is that I'll be sharing my blueprint and the mindset hack that will help you overcome public speaking anxiety in a free webinar masterclass. To register, go to thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass. This puppy gives you the soup to nuts for creating powerful talks that connect with and engage your audience every time. So grab your place now. 
That's thespeakingclub.com slash masterclass.